0: Hi there, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing. We'd be grateful if you could go to iTunes and leave us a review. Obviously, we'd prefer a five-star review, but we'd, we'd greatly appreciate any sort of feedback that you have. You can tweet me, at Don Barfield, or email me, dbarfield, at rvc.ac.uk, if you have any comments or suggestions. Today, we're joined by Dr. Stefano Cortellini, and we're going to talk about all things to do with uh, renal replacement therapies. Hello, Dom. Thanks for you <laughs> inviting me no, my, well thank you thank you for having your arm twisted to uh, to come along <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely so uh, um i suppose for our listeners so, so Stephana and i work together in in the uh, um in the icu and emergency room of the cream hospital of Annals, which is the the, the 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 teaching hospital um and referral vet clinic for the uh, the royal veterinary college and uh, i think we've uh, probably worked together for now maybe uh, six years five yeah, six five years,
1: years and a half,
0: yeah. so uh um so so maybe there'd be some familiarity with the conversation that we that we have. Anyway, um, thank you, thank you again, Stefano. So, what, what I would what like to talk about really is to do with continuous renal replacement therapy, or or as uh, as other colleagues have said, like blood purification. Um, to to so what what is continuous
1: renal replacement therapy? Firstly, absolutely. So, um, it's basically a method by which bloods get as you said purified so uh, by placing a catheter in the jugular what we do is we um, remove the blood from the patient um, uh, continuously in a continuous uh, fashion Uh, the blood goes into a sort of artificial kidney gets purified by um, so electrolytes like potassium or or urea and creatinine get removed along with way more su- uh, substances that we don't measure and then the, pa- the, the blood gets returned to the patient uh, and that happens over obviously a cont- in a continuous fashion over a variable amount of time that can be anything between eight hours up to 24-48 hours.
0: And so what we're talking about as well is that these are, these are standalone machines aren't they because I think sometimes people get Though dialysis, so it's a, I say, a form of dialysis. It's, it's not the. Um, the intermittent dialysis that people know that have the uh, the water purification systems and basically you need pipe water for it to 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 occur. Whereas these are standalone machines and we have bags of fluids that can attach to it. So it's a it's a unit with it with itself. Like you don't need uh, though you need the uh, as you said the the, the filters and the uh, um the, and the, bags and of, the bags of fluids. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a standalone. Yeah, it's,
1: a, it's very like it's a portable machine. I mean, you know, when we've done it together, like we just bring the machine to the intensive care unit, just bedside, and we can do everything like with the patient in, in a cot or in his, uh, in his bed. And then basically once the treatment is done, we just bring it back to where it was. So it's actually a procedure that can be done in the intensive care unit with patients that are quite critical without leaving the ICU. And so what, what patients do you think um, will benefit or what
0: patients are we, are we trying to uh, trying to, trying to get?
1: Well, so basically we, we have different cartridges that do different things. If we speak strictly about dialysis, so blood purification for uh, basically what, what we tend to do is remove urea and creatinine. And So what we're looking at is patients uh, in uh, kidney injury that don't respond to medical treatment. Uh, now, when we speak about continuous dialysis uh, or renal replacement therapy, we obviously uh, speak of an application to a patient that has acute kidney injury uh, or acute renal failure. So we can do the the procedure maybe two, three times over one or two weeks until the patient then hopefully improves. Um, So one of the application is exactly a patient that has acute kidney injury, so just a sudden onset Um, of the disease um, with a reversible cause that does not respond to uh, medical management and when I say it doesn't respond to medical management I mean has refractory hyperkalemia so once you've exhausted the sort of medical treatment with insulin calcium gluconate or bicarbonate the potassium cannot be managed anymore by these medical means and then we basically jump and remove the potassium through the uh, dialysis Um, Or, for example, what we can also do is remove the water uh, from the patient. So, for example, patients that have acute kidney injury, they are aneuric and they are in volume overload with pulmonary edema or pleural effusion, in general volume overload. What we can do is not only purify the blood, but also remove the extra water that the patient cannot because it's oliguric or aneuric and therefore save their lives by resolving the pulmonary edema and, and, and just stabilizing the patient itself. So obviously what we're trying to do is is, is
0: basically by the, the patient time, by, by the kidney's time to to repair themselves by taking over some of that, some of that function, but the main functions are the things that concern us, are, you know, profound acid-base status, electrolyte abnormalities. Um, and uh, an inability to get rid of water volume volume yeah. overload seem to be like the, the the main things absolutely absolutely so so what can so obviously and an a treatable cause? Now that that's really hard to, to, to identify, though, isn't it? So we we you know, we we think of some things say, uh, to do with like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug toxicity might be something that would be potentially treatable. Leptospirosis might be something that's treatable, and, and I suppose there's a, a host of, of potential toxins that we don't know, uh, such as like grapes and raisins yes. as as well, or don't know the identifying causative agent um, that that fit. Into this category as 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 well, so why 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 are we trying to do this more with acute kidney
1: injury rather than more more chronic with a chronic? Absolutely, because well, I guess the the, the point is uh, is also always the let's say the welfare of the patient. So what we're trying to assure is that the patient can go through this hospitalization time and this this disease time, but then return to a normal quality of life. Um, and with acute renal disease when they need dialysis we're hoping that's just for again a maximum of two weeks potentially um, but the disease actually resolves, and then the patient returns back to normal. That's what we're trying to um, uh, try to obtain. If a patient has chronic kidney disease and he does require dialysis, there is the risk that the patient will need ongoing dialysis for the rest of the life. And we are just not sure that that is probably the best um, option uh, for the patient itself. Now, a little bit of a gray area could be patients with chronic Disease that have an acute uh, a reacutitization of the process. However, it's always difficult to assess: is this like a chronic and stage disease, or is this an acute and chronic? And that's the difficulty of the shades. But certainly, you know, all those cases with acute kidney injury that have, again, <laughs> difficult to say it's a resolvable or reversible disease because most of the times we can't even make a diagnosis. Um, but that would be our preferred candidate
0: okay so if, if i'm a vet in practice stefano and and i see a case of i think it's an acute uh, kidney injury and that that could be potentially re- reversible there's no sort of chronic chronic signs um and obviously i'm con- concerned what what advice would you give me before so i can send send it on to uh, um send it on potentially to to yeah. us
1: absolutely i think the probably the best thing would be um focus on the diagnosis first also you know try to i i know we make diagnoses we may have diagnosis of during acute like kidney injury in probably half of the cases, Uh, but uh, probably trying to make a diagnosis is an important thing because, uh, especially for reversible causes. So for example, doing a urine analysis, uh, sending the urine analysis for culture, because palinephritis, again, can be a cause of acute kidney injury and is certainly uh, reversible, uh, but that's assuming that it's treated. So, you know, starting urine analysis um, and performing a urine analysis and potentially starting antibiotics until we get uh, the um, results of the culture back and potentially stopping them once we get the results, uh, negative results back. Uh, mm, Performing an ultrasound, sometimes it can be quite challenging to diagnose just on palpation what's happening in the the kidneys. Uh, And we are seeing more and more often, for example, usual obstructions in cats so uh, in that case sometimes surgery may be required so ultrasound can certainly be a very useful mean uh, of excluding a, or at least including those causes that can uh, require a specific treatment um, and you know in case of urethral obstruction you probably want to go to surgery as soon as possible um, so that's why it would be so important to perform a diagnosis and um, and then on the treatment side, what I would, I, I know my, my my tip would be uh, f- individualize the treatment. Don't just start like uh, a fluid therapy. So don't just start on six mils per kilo per hour, regardless of the of the patient that you have got, but like try to make a uh, um, fluid therapy that actually reflects the state of your patient. So, uh, you know, based on the um, uh, dehydration state of your patient and based on the output of your patient. I think one of the mistakes that we all have made and continue to make is potentially a little bit of a too generous administration of fluid therapy that ends up in volume overload. And I think the best way to avoid overloading our patients is again re-evaluation of the hydration state every six to eight hours and ongoing monitoring of the urinary output. Once the you know the urinary output has dropped to zero or less than one, so once we get oliguria, anuria, and we have hyperkalemia and refractory signs, then those are the patients that potentially could be um, a candidate for, potential candidates for dialysis.
0: No, no. The the, uh, the catheters that we use, and, and like in, in, in my mind, so for to go on dialysis, we need to quite high volumes of, of blood to be removed from the patient and returned to the patient, don't we? See, so it's actually the, the catheter size is is a is a slight mm. limiting factor with our with our patients. So the bigger they are, the the easier it is to necessary to to place one of these catheters. And probably if anyone's thinking about this as a as an option for one of their patients, we need to have. The jugulars preserved uh, for, for for that because obviously you know if they're thrombosed or have issues then we, we can't can't use them. But is there a, is there a size of a patient that
1: we might struggle with? Yeah, I mean the the, the main concern is you said absolutely. So the the mm, catheters are a big limitation. So we're looking at eight French and above. So they're quite big, but also the other limitation is uh, all the volume of the circuit. Uh, outside the patient, so the sort of artificial kidney Mm -hmm. uh, kind of circuit. Uh, And the volume, the priming volume, so the volume of blood that needs to fill in this circuit is uh, is at least 40, 50 mils, uh, depending on the cartridge. So um, usually what what we tend to say is potentially patients under five kilos may not be candidates or patients that are anemic Uh, as well, like severely anemic, uh, may not tolerate a dialysis uh, treatment because by the time we fill in this extracorporeal circuit, the patient becomes um, even more anemic. So I would say the main contraindication would be, or or the main limitation would be the the weight. So uh, a weight less than four or five kilos uh, would be a little bit difficult to...
0: Purpose. And, and uh, although we, I know we, uh, are just trying to move a bit from our, and, and sorry, as well, these patients need some uh, form of anticoagulant, don't they? Because if we put them on through an extracorporeal machine, um, that we don't want that that, that blood to, to clot. And we originally were using heparin-based products, and, and now moving uh, mo- moving to more citrate to, to bind mm-hmm. the calcium for for this. Now. Um, with this bearing in mind, and some of the cases that we see might might be lepto, um, might be potential leptospirosis cases. So, are we at all concerned about patients bleeding and putting in these catheters? In, absolutely in so
1: that, that could be i mean that was a big contradiction before i think as we get more comfortable with the procedure we do realize that actually placing the catheter is not a huge problem because we do that on a daily basis with central catheters obviously the diameter is way bigger mm. like we're speaking about at least well i don't know for a, for a labra, we're probably looking around at 12 13 french so it's quite it's quite wide um but then if in the beginning, So, the, the concept of anticoagulation, as you said, is heparin. We just basically what you don't want is when the blood gets out of the, of the patient and goes into the circuit, when it gets basically clean and then goes back to the patient, you don't want the blood to clot. As soon as it gets in contact with plastic, it will start clotting. So, one way is to give heparin to the patient so that basically the patient's blood will not clot. And that's called the systemic anticoagulation. The other way is to put citrate, uh, which is an anticoagulant, as soon as it comes out, uh, as the blood comes out of the patient, and then basically antagonizing the citrate action by giving back calcium to the patient as soon as the blood goes back to the, uh, basically to the... um, to the patient. So basically, what we're doing is literally anticoagulating only the blood in the cartridge and not the whole patient. And what we are doing more and more often is actually this regional uh, anticoagulation because we've seen that actually by administering heparin to the patient, we actually had bleedings at the catheter site, or potentially, you know, uh, bleedings elsewhere, and that's what we want, obviously, to avoid, patient safety is first. Um, So, yes, now we are using the CFR anticoagulation for this reason, because it's less associated with with bleeding from the patient.
0: No, we're getting uh, a little more and more cases. I, th- I think it's it's probably a, a similar th- a similar thing to a, to any new procedure. Um, we you know they they trickle at the beginning, and and every every year we see uh, a few more and more cases, and and so and our experience in, improves with that. But also with with regard to uh, to to the continuous human replacement therapy machine, that the Gambro machine that, that we have, we started using uh, like a, a, um, total plasma exchange as as well as a as a therapy. so, so you can you maybe explain what is total plasma Absolutely. exchange and and, uh, and what what indications or
1: what patients do we do we give Absolutely story? so it's um total plasma exchange is exactly like dialysis um, the the difference between dialysis, where we remove urea, creatinine, so small and middle sized uh, molecules, the difference with TPE is that with TPE we basically remove everything, so the whole plasma component, including albumins and including also uh, potentially uh, bigger size mon- m- molecules like immunoglobulin. So the difference between dialysis and so, uh, therapeutic plasma exchange is literally the, the 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 holes in the membrane of the uh, artificial kidney, um, and we tend to use total plasma exchange when we want to treat um, to remove big size molecules so for example applications would be uh, with immune mediated hemolytic anemia patients that are refractory to treatment uh, and in that cases it has seemed like it's reported in 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 literature that um, you know it can be used and and we have done it on um, i think at least five patients um having good results so having a remission a bit quicker but then again um, we'll probably have to put uh, a study out there Um, other uh, potential autoimmune diseases which could be applied would be polyradic or myasthenia gravis cases Um, we are using it for sort of the this uh, CRGV so the new forest syndrome we have tried um, to apply on five cases you know these are cases that have a terrible prognosis if they develop acute kidney injury and become aneuric. So those are the patients where we try um, and, and remove what um, possible um, complement that may be
0: causing problems. Would you, would you be right in saying we're just scratching the surface? I know there's a, a of, of what, you know, TPE will actually, can actually achieve in our patients because, we, you know, we do, we do struggle with um, you know some immune-mediated hemolytic anemias that seem to be refractory, or it doesn't matter if they're on, you know, two immunosuppressive agents. They chew through blood transfusions, you know, almost daily. And 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 uh, and we've treated a couple of these these patients um, with total plasma exchange, and, and actually uh, seem to be uh, relatively successful. Um, but also, there's you know a few case reports about. I think there's uh, ibuprofen toxicity um, and other, uh, as you said, Im- immunity diseases that maybe, you know, is our understanding. Yeah. Do you think maybe worse? Oh, it's it's going? shifting
1: hugely because the, the other thing is that you basically uh, you could even consider, uh, I mean, there are some reports potentially of modifying uh, the, you know, for, for potential toxicity. So adding intralipid or or potentially adding albumin for albumin bound toxins. Um, so, like, the, the intoxication which we could address are, are, are huge. Uh, for example, metaldehyde intoxication, that's more dialysis. But that could be treated with di- with uh, with dialysis, or um, we could. I mean, there there, there is application uh, in human medicine. It's not reported in veterinary medicine of liver failure treated with uh, plasma therapeutic plasma exchange. So again, you take out the plasma from the patient and you give new plasma from another patient um uh, so i mean it's the the spectrum of application is improving more and more as we go and is increasing more and more as we try Um, obviously we're always speaking about refractory conditions where 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 the patients are endangered so in that case we try you know the last.
0: Absolutely. So, what I'll do for, for our listeners is uh, put on a couple of a couple of links. Uh, I suppose the the International Renal Interest Society uh, have put in uh, some some guidelines of what is acute kidney injury, because uh, obviously it's only only a, a modest increase in your in your creatinine. Is, is really seemed as a as an early stage of a acute kidney injury it doesn't have to be in the in the thousands or or uh, or high hundreds um but also there's some you know information there about how to quantify you know urine output and you know mon- monitoring for that but also our our webpage is about the continuous renal replacement therapy uh, that 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 we that we have so further yeah. information can be found there or or ideally you can can contact us. Um yeah, uh, d- man, man. you know, about about cases per you know, per se that, that uh potentially might might be might be useful. I suppose the the uh, immune mediated diseases that's always a, the questionable one That's probably a combined decision uh, yeah. like a, a group think uh, exercise rather than um, that that rather than we're accepting yeah, primary yeah, cases yeah, yeah. for, for that the, at the moment but obviously welcome to uh, entertain the, the conversation of, yeah yeah of those. we're always
1: happy about speaking about possible even just the, the cases and then discuss if there is a potential scope to perform further procedures like including dialysis or tp um that's going to be difficult to say on the phone yes we will do it but like at least we can always discuss about the case and
0: yeah it's but it's it's heartening to know isn't it that that yeah. uh, um that we either way they're offering the service but there's there's more and more in the literature about uh these type of uh of, of techniques and uh, you know, a few from um, Florida and there's a large group in in, in Italy, isn't there? They deal with yeah. leptospirosis patients and in as Switzerland well. as well. Switzerland. Yes, so, yeah, yeah. so there's there's actually you know more and more information. I think as as the these modalities get actually. More cost-effective. Uh, I wouldn't mm. say they're, they're ever cheap, but they're probably more cost-effective. That that you know, certain uh, yeah. um, you know, they're more available, but there's always uh, teething issues with these uh, these form of of, of, uh, of treatment modalities. Yeah, absolutely. Well, many thanks again for your time, you. Dr. Cordellini, and uh, and as I said, we'll, we'll link to the to the to the show notes um, uh, with some some you know links to, to things that we that we said about uh, finding information about continuous stream replacement therapy um, and the IRS uh, website for further information. Many thanks for listening. Many thanks for subscribing. And uh, until next time, bye bye.